0: This podcast is brought to you by Barrier Break Solutions Private Limited and Score Foundation.
1: Hi, uh, my name is George Abraham, and uh, welcome to this edition of uh, IVE Conversations. I have with me uh, my colleague and friend, uh, Shilpi Kapoor from Barrier Break, uh, who are co-producers of this uh, program. And our guest today is uh, Sherry Heber from the United States. She is um, an accessibility architect and an active volunteer with the W3C, which is the World Wide Web Consortium. Uh, Hi, and welcome, uh, Sherry. Hi, George. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, let's begin the conversation with the question. uh, What exactly is this uh, accessibility architecture? And uh, uh, could you also share the journey that you had in in promoting and um, helping organizations implement digital accessibility
2: sure so you know not every company is large enough uh, to need a chief accessibility officer there's only a handful of those even across companies in the united states and not every company is large enough to need an accessibility architect either um, but you will occasionally see um that pop up or sometimes uh, a different type of uh, title, I know uh, Jenison Asuncion says Accessibility Evangelist. That was one, uh, at least I I used that as my self title for a while because I liked it. Um, But what it means is that VMware, because we're such an enormous organization, um, we've split the accessibility job into two. So originally I was accessibility employee number one, and I built an entire team, but it really got too big uh, for one person to be able to handle it. And so we took the testing and the day-to-day project remediation programs, and we gave that uh, to one manager, and he's got the entire team reporting to him now. And I have moved into an individual contributor role. So architects are always individual contributors in technology. They don't have managerial responsibilities. But what they do is they focus on vision and strategy. And in my case in specific, uh, they they call it innovation and outreach. Um, So VMware actually wants me uh to work with other companies in getting their accessibility up to par to to help improve uh what other companies are doing as long as they're not our competitors um and uh they they also want me to do innovation so i've worked on some really cool stuff recently for example with machine learning and um, accessibility so that's kind of uh, where where that title comes from. And then I work together with uh, Chris, who's my counterpart, who does the um, remediation programs. And, and we kind of share uh, some of the strategic uh, responsibilities uh, at getting accessibility implemented at VMware. Um, we have 32,000 employees at this point. So uh, it's, there's an 100, about 140 products. Uh, so there's a lot of ground to cover, just way more than one person can do. Um, in terms of how did I get here, um, I actually started off uh, like many people do, and I grew up in Silicon Valley um, and decided I wanted to do computers. I've been programming for well over half my life at this point. Um, sherry secret fun fact is I was the first Girl Scout in the United States to, do it, to get a badge in computer science. I don't know if you still call them girl guides in India, um, but it was a long time ago, and uh, I've just always liked technology. So um, I decided uh, to go to school, got a degree in computer science, like many people do. And for about 10 years, I was really uh, heavily invested in software testing. Uh, it was my favorite part of uh, doing um, computer science. Um, then, about a decade after I graduated, I decided I wanted to go to law school. So, I had been involved um, as an expert witness. You know, the US is a very litigious society. And uh, I realized at the end of the process that the technology people didn't understand the law, the legal people didn't understand technology, and there ought to be a pretty good career for somebody who understood both. Um, so, even though I was born with some congenital mobility problems, Um, I never really got into accessibility or the legal field because of my own issues. I went to law school and then partway through law school by my middle daughter, uh, we discovered she had a progressive hearing loss. And so instead of doing software patents and copyright and trademark and those types of things, I ended up going into advocacy for the deaf. And uh, from there, um, about 10 years ago, I decided if I wanted to start. Using my computer science degree, again, this really cool thing called accessibility might be a good way to to go about doing that. Quite a journey, Shari. That is quite a journey for sure,
3: right? Uh, Which leads us to in this journey of yours, uh, you've been through so many different companies, right? And you've been advocating, you know, one for your daughter, sometimes for yourself. um, And within these organizations, you've been advocating for accessibility implementation right? And for companies to take this on. How has your experience been over the years of doing that?
2: You know, it depends on the industry. It depends on the, um, the time, you know, as, as I mentioned, U.S. is really, really litigious. So in 2020, the last year that we have records for, we had over 3,500 lawsuits filed pertaining to digital accessibility. And the The plaintiffs, the individuals with the disabilities, are largely winning most of the cases at this point. So, as that is starting to become better understood as a business risk in the US, it's become a little bit easier uh, to make the case for accessibility. You know, people in the US in business always want to see a business trade off. Uh, American businesses aren't known for doing things because they're the right things to do, Uh, they're known for Spending money on things because it's going to save them money in the long run. Um, I don't like uh, to look at accessibility necessarily from the compliance perspective. It's certainly not what I start with, um, but uh, it does tend to be an effective argument, especially in larger organizations. Because the larger the organization, the more the legal risk, because the m- deeper the pockets the company has uh, if they get sued. You know, Shari,
3: leading from that, uh, so in India, one of our biggest challenges is how do we get even the larger companies to listen to the digital accessibility uh, you know, advice? We don't have a very litigious society at this point of time, though we do have a law in place. Right? So what is the kind of advice you would give us? How do we start and you know, where do we start advocating for? Right? Because today we've got you know, so many e-commerce portals. Right? You've got so many delivery services, and a lot of them are totally inaccessible to people with disabilities. And we are struggling as a country uh, and as experts in the area, George and I both, on how do we you know, start? How do we sow that seed? So what is the advice you would give us to, to start to advocate? Because yeah. you know, 10 years back, what did you do that we can do today?
2: So I don't know that I have the magic answer to your question, but I can tell you how I would go about it. Um, so- so, obviously, because of my own disabilities and because of my daughter, I have a very personal connection to disability. So, one of the things that you have to do to start with is to create a personal connection to disability uh, with the people who are making the decision. And, you know, when you've got a large number of relatives, you know, when, when we're talking about the numbers of people, right, in the, in the United States, um, the number that's usually thrown around is that 18% of people um, under the age of 65 have a disability. So chances are you're related to one of them, you know one of them, you know, your dog walker's girlfriend's cousin is one of them, there's going to be some connection somewhere. And so one thing is to, to find that connection. And if there isn't a connection, you know, we're all guaranteed to be disabled at some point in time. It might be situational, it might be temporary, it might be permanent, but it is guaranteed. They say death taxes, well, it's actually death taxes and disability. Um, because there's always going to be at least some chunk of time where you as an individual experience disability. And then you have to reflect and say, would I want to be cut off from the banking, from the healthcare, from the government office? Um if I uh, had a disability and it turned out that it didn't resolve itself in a short period of time. And of course the answer is no, nobody ever wants to be cut off from anything. So I think shifting the the mindset um, to make it about the person who's making the decision. Um, I am frequently known for saying that when you argue argue for accessibility, if you're not disabled, you're arguing for your future self is important. The other thing is that um, there's a large amount of money in the disability sector. If you look at the um, the spending power of all the people with disabilities globally, 51% of the gross national product is spent by either people with disabilities or their friends or their family. So just immediate friends and immediate family. That's half of the world's economy. And so if the delivery companies and the organizations like that started to become accessible, guess what? People with disabilities would start to become customers. And they tend to be fairly loyal customers. Um, and also, people, uh, they're going to tell their friends or family, hey, I used this delivery service. And it, was, it, was, it really worked for me. They took care of me. Then they're going to create loyalty amongst their extended uh, contacts as well. So make it about the money. Just don't make it about the negative money, the fines, the penalties, the lawsuits. Make it about the positive money.
1: Another question that uh, comes to mind is that, uh, you know, uh, corporations are large organizations. And when you make an approach uh, strategically, which is the best place to actually enter the company? Who do you think would be uh, the most effective connect to start with?
2: So since the problem that you're trying to solve is technology, I usually advise people to, to put the uh, accessibility, the solution as close as possible to where the problem is. If you put it in compliance, if you put it in diversity and inclusion, those people don't have technology backgrounds. So they don't really know what's possible, what's not possible, how much it's gonna cost. Uh, they're not gonna know how to schedule things, how to prioritize things. So um, I I think IT is the right place for it. Um, At VMware, it happens to be part of the design team because the person who had the vision of starting an accessibility program at VMware was actually uh, a a design leader. And so I don't always necessarily think that I'm in the right place, but I was in the right place uh, that that organization was the right place to start the effort at VMware.
1: Yeah. So when you also talk to a company very often, they do uh, say that this is expensive. We don't have a budget for it. It costs money. Uh, So how do you normally address that issue?
2: Well, every single job I've ever started in accessibility, um, I've started with no budget. Um, So one of the articles I wrote is on how to get experience and accessibility without spending a lot of money. There are definitely ways you can do it. Now, you're not gonna go out and buy uh, a 150,000 US dollar tool uh, because you have no budget, but you can still arrange for training. You can still uh, do internal audits. It's possible to do that on a fairly limited budget. There's an ever increasing amount of information in the open source that's available to help with accessibility. There's Google Lighthouse, there's Ax, there's Wave, um, there's the tool that uh, we're launching uh, called Crest, which is the machine learning segment that sits on top of Wave. So all those things are available for free. It's just the manpower uh, to to run it and interpret the results. So when we're doing budgeting, typically I advise people that for the for the very first project, okay when nobody has ever done anything related to accessibility, add 10%, okay? We're not talking about doubling the cost, because when you do accessibility up front and build it in all the way, it's far cheaper than retrofitting in accessibility at the end. Because uh, you're not fixing bugs, or or at least you're not fixing as many bugs. You're doing it right from the outset. People, when they think about it, they think about it from the, oh, we spent all this money, and now we have to fix all these bugs. That's retroactive, and that's not the right way to do it. By starting with an accessible design, training the developers, doing accessible development, and then adding accessibility into your QA cycle, you'll find that there's very little overall cost increase. And that cost increase actually goes down over time. So if you have the same team for the second project, we, you only need to add 5%. And then my recommendation is just to be safe, because you're always going to have turnover. People are going to leave the company, or they're going to tr- transfer into different departments. You will have new people. Maybe they don't know about accessibility. So you do need to include a small amount of money for every project to get new participants trained so that they can produce at the same high level that everybody else can. Um, but it's, it's kind of, to me, it's a 10-5-3-0 it's a uh, approach.
1: Sherry, would you like to tell us about specific organizations or companies or corporations who have actually um, uh, run along with your advice and uh, actually made a success of it?
2: Sure, so um, the place that I was, Uh, previous to, uh, VMware was McDonald's and so McDonald's, even though I haven't been there for almost three years there, they have a new accessibility manager who stepped in when I left and everything McDonald's does is still largely accessible. The websites are accessible, the mobile apps are accessible, been built into the crew training. So, uh, they're continuing to do fairly well. Um, another place that I did some accessibility work was at Kaiser. Um, their uh, accessibility was partially part of compliance, and compliance—if uh, if you look at the the good cop, bad cop scenario—compliance is always the bad cop. So that's not my favorite place for accessibility. Um, but they have gotten more accessible over time. Uh, the, it's a big health insurance and. Uh, Physicians group, uh, especially in California, about forty percent of Californian citizens uh, have their insurance through this company. And then um, you know there's all kinds of volunteer things uh, that I've done. You mentioned that I work on the W3C. Um, I've also done works on uh, nonprofit sites. Uh, you know, because they don't even, even for them, the 10% is too hard. Uh, So we try to crowdsource the efforts for people who have spare time uh, to work on some of these uh, projects for nonprofits where they're committed to accessibility. They just don't have uh, even the small amount of budget necessary to get it done.
3: So Sherry, listening to you, uh, what I hear is that there are small companies, small organizations, as well as large companies who can take on accessibility. And uh, companies don't need to necessarily run away from it, but need to embrace it uh, at different stages and in different uh, spaces so that we can take it on. Because this has been one of the biggest challenges that personally I have experienced and I know George has in getting people on board. It's just sometimes you hear things like, you know, we're not a large enough company. We don't need to look at accessibility. You know, it will come when you get
2: right. there. There's a lot of myth-busting you have to do when you start in accessibility. Um, in the US, the first myth that you usually has to be busted is, I don't need accessibility. I can just go spend $400 a year for one of those overlays and everything will be magically fixed. Um, so, so I have a list of kind of six or seven, uh, usually, uh, to, to go through at the beginning, because people just have complete misconceptions about how assistive technology is used by people with disabilities. They also think because they're outside of the U.S., they can't be sued in the U.S. Totally not true. true. Uh, We've got two major lawsuits in the U.S. right now pending against companies that have no U.S. presence other than the website.
1: You know, there are several companies in India which have um, global origins, Uh, many companies that uh, started in the U.S. or in Europe or wherever. Uh, and uh, I've noticed that uh, when they operate in the US or in UK or in, the, in Europe, uh, they do follow the discipline of digital access. But very often when they come and work in India, many of these companies are kind of um, short on accessibility. Uh, whether it's about working environment uh, when they hire people with disability, or even their products that they actually um, provide in the market. Uh, so is it is there a possibility of a, a, a global approach to making these companies actually comply or uh, accept the digital form of working um, so that uh, they become big examples and workable examples for countries like India?
2: So when I started with McDonald's, uh mcdonald's was present i want to say in 120 different countries and it became rapidly apparent uh that trying to figure out what the accessibility laws were in each one of those countries and then keeping track of it as it changed was was not feasible so we picked the strictest law in the world at that point in time and said we're going to comply with that and if we comply with that, we're good everywhere. So that's the approach uh, that, I, that I took at McDonald's. It's also the approach that I'm taking right now at VMware. So right now, the strictest law in the world is, is WCAG 2.1. 2.1 is not required in the U.S. at this point. The, the public sector sales requirements only require 2.0. Now, I suspect under the new administration that that's going to change. So part of this is just me with my crystal ball going, you know what? U.S. isn't going to be on 2.0 forever. Eventually, they're going to they're upgrade the standards, and I want to be ahead of other people when that happens. So we have chosen 2.1, and we have made it a global program. So I subscribe to Richard Branson's uh, beliefs on this, uh, which is if you take care of the employees, the employees will take care of the customers. We only have 16 people on our accessibility team uh, at VMware, which to some people might seem like a lot, but remember 140 products, 31,000 employees. So I need other people talking about accessibility when I'm not on the call or when I'm not in the room. And the way for that to happen is to have more employees with disabilities. The way to get more employees with disabilities is to have more uh, employee resource groups focused on disability. So we actually started there um, and we started that initiative literally almost the same day uh, that we started the accessibility initiative at VMware. Uh, We built uh, an employee resource group uh, for accessibility. We have a branch uh, in India. We work with Enable India um, on um, different things like uh, coding projects and hiring people with disabilities and and things of that nature. And uh, we started an autism hiring initiative. So that was new to VMware. I didn't personally start it, but I've been working side by side with it uh, while that's been running. um, And it's about to enter um, our third cohort. So during that period of time, VMware's self-identification rate for employees with disabilities had gone from uh, 1.8% to 3.2%. So we've almost doubled uh, in a little bit over two years, which is pretty fantastical when you realize that VMware as a company has almost doubled in the same time period. It had about 20,000 employees when I started. We have 32,000 employees today. So our growth rate of employees with disabilities is actually almost double the, the growth rate of VMware in general. I would say we average probably about seven to 800 participants in each one of our employee resource group meetings. Um, we cover everything. We've had, um, obviously, the, the stuff that's uh, near and dear to my heart. We started sign language classes. We, ha- we have a left-handed day. Uh, you know, a lot of this stuff is employee sponsored. So the employee said, we wanna see more stuff on mental health. Um, we wanna see more stuff on dyslexia. We wanna see more stuff on hidden disabilities. And then somebody came to us and said, did you know that you know, people who are left-handed die in accidents at a higher rate than people who are right-handed? Being left-handed in our society is actually a disabling condition. And so um, we're doing, you can see uh, from my sign, autism awareness is my backdrop. Uh, April is autism awareness month. So we've had a lot of autism focused events at VMware recently. So just getting into the, the sink of all the global days, the you know the International Day of People with Disabilities, Global Accessibility Awareness Day, um, making sure that you make as as wide of a splash as possible uh, that these things are happening and and people should feel free to participate. That, that's what generates the the buzz and the comfort that people find in raising their hand and saying, hey, guess what, um, I'm actually one of those people with a hidden disability. Um, You know, 4% of the male population is colorblind. Everybody probably knows somebody who's colorblind, but for some reason, people don't ever wanna talk about it. The thing is to get us past the, oh, I can hide it so I can pass as able-bodied to actually saying, you know what? I don't wanna hide it because not hiding it might help somebody else.
3: So the Employee Resource Group seems like a very good place to start, George, for us in India. Right, yeah. Shari, thank you for that. That is a very interesting way to approach this probably.
0: If you know of anyone with vision impairment who needs guidance on living life with blindness, please share the Iway National Toll Free Helpline number one eight zero zero five three two zero four six nine. The number is one eight zero zero. Five three
1: two zero four six nine. Being a sports lover, I'm a big fan of left-handers. And, um, uh, you know, they, they bring in style and class to the sport. Uh, but what I wanted to ask you was, in a team sport, uh, one of the endeavors of the team is to make sure that every member of the team performs to potential. And uh, the, the, the environment is kind of created so that everybody is able to contribute to the optimal level. So my question to you is, uh, in the US and in the areas that you work, the companies that you work with, uh, the disability inclusion uh, or, and, and which means accessibility within the organization itself, uh, is it the responsibility of uh, just a few individuals or just a department? Or is the entire company kind of committed to it? And uh, what is your uh, take? Should we, in this campaign of disability access and digital access, should we move towards involving the entire company?
2: I would say definitely yes. So look at it from the perspective of, you know, somebody who might be responsible for updating content on a website. You know, it's not a particularly technical job or maybe they do social media posts Um, They're, but they're responsible for the content of what they post. They need to know to write the alt text. They need to know to send the videos out to be captioned or if they're uh, posting other videos uh, to make sure to only post captioned videos. Um, So it's not just for the people in IT that's largely for what you're building to use internally or what you're building to sell. Um, But everybody is responsible. You know, are you, you know, down to the uh, goals and bonuses, you know, are you bonusing your engineers for getting software delivered on time or are you bonusing your engineers for delivering accessible software on time? OK, because the difference between one and the other is the difference between a team saying eh, that accessibility thing, we can fix that after the release. And oh, my God, we have to get this done because otherwise we're not going to get our bonus. Um, you know, there's a, there's another famous thing, uh, which is you can't fix what you can't measure. So understanding, being able to to understand where these points are that you can put pressure on people to integrate accessibility into their jobs is important because you need them to want to do it organically. If, you, if it's something that you're making them do, there's always going to be resistance.
0: To support our work with the blind and visually impaired, you can visit the donate page on our website, www.scorefoundation.org.in. Please note www.scorefoundation.org.in Vendors, procurement,
3: right? That is a huge challenge as we see it. And I see, you know, there is this ripple effect that happens when um, companies like VMware, Microsoft, even, you know, George at uh, Score Foundation or Barrier Break start making people accountable for their products being what they are, right? Um, So how how do you think we should tackle vendor management and procurement uh, and bake it in so that that ripple effect of of what companies are doing is felt by everybody and that forces the entire ecosystem to become accessible?
2: So if you accept what I said about and uh, having employees with disabilities being a core component of having a successful accessibility program at face value, then you're obliged to get accessible tools for these people to use. If you don't, you're going to be able to hire people, but you're not necessarily going to have happy people, you're not necessarily going to have engaged people, and you may not be able to retain them. So, At VMware, we we have something called our Epic2 standards. And our Epic2 standards talk about how VMware executes what our integrity is, our responsibility to the community. And so under our Epic2 values, we have recently developed an internal accessibility policy. So again, risk, right? There was only so much I could get done. And the risk was much higher of us being sued by uh, a customer or a potential customer than it was being sued by one of our employees. But now that we've made progress with our products, we're now shifting our focus to the employees. So when VMware engages with a new vendor, there is a clause in there saying, you know, our standard is WCAG 2.1, and you commit that you're going to uh, deliver code that's compliant to that under this contract. But we've got 280 plus or minus. Products that we bought that we use atro- across the entire company. Only about 15% of those 280 products are fully accessible. The other 85% are not accessible. So, what we did is the employees with disabilities got together. We pr- made a prioritized list what are the biggest impacts to us on a day to day basis? And we are now working with those vendors, and especially for the smaller vendors. The smaller vendors um, are more amenable to making changes. They can move a little bit more quickly, and they don't want to lose uh, a prestige customer like VMware just because they can't meet the standards. You know, the, the the good news is when they fix it, they fix it for everybody. They don't just fix it for VMware. So um, as I said, you know, uh, VMware, that that does come out come under my the outreach when i said i do largely innovation and outreach working with vendors is taking up more and more of our time we help them get their programs scaled up we're not an external qa organization for them we'll do you know some initial auditing just to give them an idea of where the problems are and what the impacts are and things of that nature but we expect you know we're, we're teaching them to fish we don't want to uh hand out an endless stream of of salmon platter suppers. So, um, and some are easier than others. Some are closer than others. Uh, Some inherently are more complicated. Uh, The the design tools are definitely the most difficult because they frequently rely on things like drag and drop. um, And they have to make all of that keyboard accessible to work. So uh, some of those projects, I suspect, are going to take on the order of two to three years, perhaps. Where some of the projects uh, will actually be, you know, fully wrapped up, and they'll be able to claim, you know, claim double A compliance on their website, um, probably by the end of this calendar year. We look
1: forward to that, and thank you very much, Sherry, again for the uh, the time, and all the best.
2: Anytime, thanks, George and Shelby. <laughs>
0: This podcast was brought to you by Barrier Break Solutions Private Limited and Score Foundation.